For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. We highlight keen investment insights and strategies so you can become a real estate mogul. Here's your host, Yannick Kujo Virgin. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Yannick Kujo Virgil, and I'm super excited for our guest today. Our guest today is Masha Klapanova. Now, Masha is a self-storage owner, investor, syndicator, an inspirational speaker, and freedom coach who in a short time went from zero knowledge of the self-storage industry to building a powerful team, owning and operating out-of-state self-storage facilities in Texas and North Carolina, and currently has two self-storage portfolios under contract. So she is definitely a mover and shaker in the self-storage business. Masha, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So excited to uh, share uh, what I have been going through self-storage investing and share with your audience. So thank you for having me here. Absolutely. So self-storage is one of those investment strategies that not too many people talk about. You hear a lot of people talk about multifamily investing, different asset classes, but not a lot about self-storage. But first, before we dive into the specifics, give us a little bit more context about who you are and how you got to where you are today. Uh, so do we have like uh, three hours at least here? <laughs> <laughs> well, not quite, but but uh, we'd definitely love to know, you know how you got to where you are today. Let's keep it short and sweet. Uh, I'm coming uh, from Russia and uh, it was always my dream to come to United States because I knew that uh, to do something special, you've got to be in a country where it's full of opportunities. And the you know, United States is, as long as you take on, pursue those opportunities. So uh, at some point, I was involved with real estate, just real estate sales. And uh, my broker uh, was doing some flipping projects. So we got a little bit involved with him, not much, but just here and there. We did some Airbnb project and then things started going a little bit south. Something was not working out. First time we got our investment back, we were happy. But second time it was delayed, delayed, delayed. Like something is going on weird here. And yes, he one day to another disappeared uh, with all the money and uh, just dropped us like uh, in a very uh, not the best situation. And I said, I will never do real estate investing again. Yes, yes, I said that and I lied to myself because after a few years, I'm like, no, real estate investing, is, that's how you can build your wealth. That's how you can get that passive income. So I started exploring again, back to like flipping Airbnb, exploring, exploring and oh, wait a minute, there's mobile home park investing. Oh, there is a multifamily, senior living and self-storage. And when I find out about self-storage, I decided to explore more. And this is how I got into storage. Well, that's great. You know, a lot of times, you know, people go through different things, specifically in real estate. And it's one of those businesses where 
you know, sometimes you're going to run into some rough patches, but I think the benefits long-term supersede anything that you're going to go through in the short term. And so I'd love to dive a little bit more into what you're doing in self-storage today and why self-storage investing. Sure, definitely. I always love talking about why self-storage because this is where exactly I had to choose why would I want to pursue a particular asset class because I knew from past experiences I've done like several careers and several roles and doing a lot of things thinking I'm so talented, I'm doing a bunch of things where in all those areas I was not getting the results I wanted. I was like, something's wrong with me, something's wrong with me, but honestly it's just not having focus. That's what was wrong with me. So that's when I knew I needed to choose one thing. I already paid for a wholesaling, a flipping course, which was not cheap. And uh, I was just so attracted to self-storage. And I was like, I needed to choose. So I started putting benefits, obviously, what's better, what should I do? And self-storage, first of all, is a recession-resilient asset class. I decided to pursue it right where COVID hit. And even before COVID, everybody's talking about, oh, recession is coming. Rece- it's, they've been talking about recession is coming right, for quite some time. So hearing that it's recession resilient asset class, that it performed uh, better than any other asset classes during the uh, 2008, 9, 10, and as well as during COVID. It actually, during COVID, the industry grew. The industry grew, it's just... Uh, in general, by 10%, where other, well, except warehousing, warehousing also grew. All other asset classes lost. So it's been proven already that self-storage, it is recession resilient. Because people, during good times, people buy stuff, right? <laughs> they buy stuff, so they need storage. During bad times, people, what we call the four Ds, and now actually it's five Ds. D is people die, people divorce, People dislocate, people declutter, right? When people start especially putting uh, offices in their homes, they needed to declutter. And the last 50 downsize is you're paying right now $2,000 for rent for your house. If you move into an apartment that's $1,000, you probably would rather pay $100 for self-storage, right? So people do still, when there's bad times, pay for that. So it's a recession-resilient asset class that I was so comfortable moving forward too. I love that the fact that you said uh, you wanted to focus on one thing because I think as investors, when we first get into the game, maybe we're drinking a lot of what I call like drinking the sauce, right? Like everything is so interesting. You know, when I first started in real estate, it was wholesaling, fixing and flipping. I knew that I wanted to do multifamily. So I was trying to put my hand in like all different pots. But I started achieving more and more success when I started just focusing on one specific thing, mastering that, and then moving on into different business strategies or different businesses that can, you know, help me create the lifestyle that I wanted to. Exactly, exactly. And you know that Steve, they ask Steve Jobs and uh, they ask uh, other uh, successful people, what's the number one thing? Uh, Number one thing that really got you to where you, your success is. What is number one? Most of them answered is focus. It's really being at the moment, focusing on that one thing. I wanted to still like being attracted to all other asset uh, classes. And Airbnb, you know, living in Miami, you know, having Airbnb, it's, it's just a potentially very lucrative business. And it, it is. But 
if you don't focus, if you spread yourself too much, you will get the same type of level of results. They're going to be, ah, you know, that's what it is. Yeah, totally agree. I've, uh, I've burned a lot of time, you know, focusing on different things. But again, once I focused on one thing, I was able to accelerate my real estate business. So let's jump into how do you evaluate self-storage opportunities? Not a lot of people know how to evaluate self-storage opportunities, how to evaluate markets, maybe how to evaluate rents. You know, when you're looking at a self-storage opportunity that someone brings to you, you know, what is maybe the first one or two things that you look at to maybe sniff test this deal to see if this is something that I should look further into? Exactly. Great question. There's a lot of similarities, obviously. It's still real estate, right? So there's a lot of similarities that you do with multifamily or residential, the things that you look, obviously, especially multifamily, doing syndication. Syndication of self-storage or syndication of multifamily, it's pretty similar model. You have all income expenses that it's all the same underwriting process. However, where self-storage really stands out, and I give you a story, I'm in some uh, mastermind and I'm talking about some deal that I'm looking at and I'm thinking of putting under contract. And I'm sharing about this market. It was actually in Alabama, in this town. And our like leader of mastermind, he's like, oh my God, I know this town. This is where my parents are from. This is like the worst market you can invest. How would you even think? And he's multifamily investor. So his mindset is a multifamily where I did not saw that market scary. I'm not going to say it's the most exciting market I would invest in, but it's different than multifamily because you don't look at those super growing, super developing and like hot markets where everybody else is investing. So storage is very localized. You need a storage in a small town of a thousand people. You need a storage in a, anywhere in not the best areas in people in low income areas so that's where you usually don't find in general just multi-families there's no multi-families in those areas but storage you need in every pretty much five mile radius you need to have a certain amount of uh, storage units to be provided for population so that's why i don't go look for choose a market and then look for storage i look at storage and then i evaluate the market and me being, of course, again, very open. I, I live in Miami. Um, I have storage in North Carolina, in Texas, and we're under contract in properties in South Carolina. It's just because there is so much opportunities you can look where many people would not be looking at. So, again, coming back to market analysis. First thing, number one thing I would look is demand, supply-demand analysis. You don't want to come to a market. You don't want to come to Miami and buy a storage, build a storage where there's already oversupply. You think, oh, my God, Miami is growing. It's so exciting. I have, but there's so much oversupplied. That means that there's a lot of new builds or there's already built it and they have hard time filling up their units. So you would typically, what would, how would you evaluate that? You would call, we do mystery, we call it mystery shopping. So I have actually a virtual team that's helped me with a lot of the processes now, but I used to do it myself. They would call and they would try and get a feel of how full they are. Are they giving you a bunch of discounts? Are they giving you like, oh, we have all these type of sizes available? And then you have to be cautious about the market. But on the other hand, if you're looking at the market, at the facility and like, oh, especially when you go to smaller markets, 
They're like, oh, we're full. Or we have only 10 by 10 available. Or we only have this size available. And the way you can, oh, they're like have high demand. They don't have enough supply. So you want to get to the market where there is not enough supply. Simply as that. And it's by evaluating competitors and uh, just calling them and getting that feel. So that's definitely number one. And of course, we look at the population growth. None of my markets were having like exponential population growth. Even though um, it seems like, why would you even go to those markets? But no, those people still need storages. So that's the main difference. But other than that, we look the same as uh, numbers as multifamily. Thank you so much for breaking that down. Uh, and that's interesting that you said that you don't necessarily flow to high growth, like trophy type markets, you know, um, I'm in the multifamily space and we're moving into development as well. And we're always looking for what we call emerging markets, right? Because we want to be in areas where it's the path to progress. But on the other side, you are focused on more market-driven factors. You have a heavy insight or you look heavily on demand factors. Like you mentioned, the supply and demand analysis that you do and secret shopping. Do you think that secret shopping is kind of like the primary way or is secret shopping the primary way of how you get a lot of your, like your information, because I would, and I'd love to know, right? Because how I'm looking at it is, Hey, you know, we secret shop as well, but we also have systems like apartments.com and other systems where we can uh, do a rent rental analysis. Like how, how do you do rental analysis in, in markets that you look for as well when you're evaluating these opportunities? So I have actually a several, uh, even columns of potential rates. So obviously, first is always as is. Whatever they're charging right now, that's great. Then we have a performer. If we're getting from like a broker or wholesaler, what are they thinking, right? So I put it into consideration. I'm not taking it seriously, but I'm taking it into consideration. The next one is, like I said, mystery shopping. You call and you try to get whatever rates as possible. Even though they don't have available uh, units, they're like, Okay, but what typically do you charge? So we try to kind of get out those rates or say, okay, uh, we're thinking to come in, in maybe even two months. What if you're going to have that? So sometimes they don't give you, but sometimes they give you the information. So we try to get as much as much from the phone call. The next one is online. You go online and just really Google, look. Uh, there's uh, some of them have websites. Not all of them have websites. Not all of them have exactly rates. So it's depending. You can get that information. And the last way is actually uh, there's a special software that called Radius Plus. It's designed specifically for self-storage owners and investors where they can give you a lot of that information. It's not 100% correct. Uh, there's a, a lot of information is missing, but you can get a lot from it. So it's called Radius Plus and they can give you rates information. So then I look at all of that and I do general, then how I come up with my rates that I would expect, depending on after one year of buying a property or after two years, depending, right, how different, where can I get this property to? And then I'm analyzing all those rates that I got from performer, from broker, from uh, doing mystery shopping, from online, and from their software and all of that analyzing, seeing where we can be, really. That's great. And what about the expenses when you look at a certain opportunity of heard you on a separate podcast that one of the things that you focus on is management and marketing. You know, give us a little bit more context on why that is specifically um, within the self-storage space. 
when it comes to adding value to your expenses, but then also operations as well. When you typically think a value add of multifamily, you right away think of, oh, I'm going to rehab the kitchens. I'm going to change the floors. I'm going to paint. I'm going to change the bathrooms, right? All of those. uh, I'm going to change the curb appeal and things like that. With storage, you do that too, but that's really not the driven factor uh, unless obviously you buy a destroyed property. But typically it's just you got the roof, you got the walls, you got the door, and there's not so much going on there. There is no kitchens to rehab or bathrooms to rehab. So the value add that comes in most of the time that we do is managerial or marketing-wise. So right now the properties that we have under contract, the two small portfolios, they're all in Carolina, which consists of five storages total. It's three and two. different Two different owners, but they all, first of all, have no website. So not only they don't have a website that you cannot go and just book because some people don't want to go call. They want to just go online and just book. They don't have not only that option that they just don't have website at all. And the even more interesting part, they don't have even Google business page. So when you would want to rent a unit, you would be like, oh, storage near me, right? Or storage. And you just put it right where you are on location. And they're not foundable. Like they don't exist there. So can you imagine one of the big operator in a space, self-storage operator, he did analysis and he mainly invests in bigger markets, but he says 80% of his clients, tenants come from Google. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that he's missing like 50%. These both owners are missing 50%. So we come in, we establish Google business page. We optimize Google business page. We increase uh, reviews, putting all the, whatever the optimization of Google business page takes. Obviously for us to be ranked higher, do the SEO search engine optimization, potentially doing Google ads if it's needed. And then of course, website and website that just takes them the easiest way just for them to easily click here, boom, they put information, they put the card, drive license, and they're done. They got the unit rented. Easy, the quicker, the better the easier. Now, none of this is offered. So that's a typical uh, uh, number one uh, marketing value add. What about managerial? Again, these properties that we're buying, all of them using pen and paper for their rental. So they have 10 by 10 with the paper, 10 by 10, John Smith, uh, renting, I mean, $100. And that's how they keep their books. They have books all over the place. They don't have no software. No camera system, no control, like no, all the clients. It's just, I am so excited to come in and create a proper business procedures, proper systems. So everybody, we're making more money. Tenants are more happy. And it just makes sense nowadays. That's how you run. Make things simplified, but at the same time, smooth, smooth business operations. So it's really, you think, you see, I'm also using a lot of word business. It is a business. Uh, and a multifamily is a business. We just don't call it as often, I feel like, multifamily investing. It's a business. So, and storage, it's actually a retail also business. You sell spaces. It, we have one-month leases. It's not like here, leases. People are more coming, going, right, than when you do apartment rentals. But at the same time, you have the opportunity to increase rates. So you come in. You can the next month increase everybody's rates. It's not like a multifamily where you have to wait for them to for their contracts to finish. 
But here you can, you come in, you do some, we don't increase right away. We actually do those improvements first. And then we let it know ahead of time. Hey, we're going to be increasing. You're first of all, uh, we need to be staying competitive and we just improve this. We improve this. Our taxes went up, blah, 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 blah. And that way we're able to substantially increase rates of tenants. And when we increase rates, what happens? We increase the income the cash flow, cash flow to us, to our investors, and the whole return on investment. That's wonderful how you were able to break that down. I mean, it sounds like you are able to find opportunities, maybe a lot of mom and pop owners who have owned these businesses for 10, 20 years, and you take them and you utilize management systems that are more prevalent today, as opposed to how the mom and pop operator typically ran the business and also utilizing marketing to drive that traffic, right? As I mentioned, bring that into today's society, today's technology to drive traffic to your business to in term provide great returns for your investors. Is, is that the case? Exactly. Finding mom and pop, that's, that's again, coming back to those tertiary markets, right? You have so many of those little pockets in the United States where, uh, in smaller towns, 20,000 people, 5,000 people, 50,000 people, uh, where again, the multifamily don't look at those markets. But and how many of those in the United States? I don't know, thousands of thousands of thousands. They function like they always function. And the beautiful part, it works. It still works. Sometimes like both portfolios that we're buying, they're nearly full without even doing all that properly. So how much amazing can be coming in and just doing that value add that typically is also not so costly. I don't know how much those budgets for rehabbing kitchens <laughs> in multifamily. And I don't think probably I really need to know because <laughs> I, I want to sleep better. This is all just really, there is investment involved, but uh, like capital, but it's really just having that experience and knowledge and understanding how the systems work are uh, being the business entrepreneur, basically. Yeah. You're able to utilize technology to cut expenses or just automate things within your business. It's a perfect way to, to scale and, and like I mentioned, you know, cut expenses where, you know, you don't necessarily have to because you have those technology systems available at your fingertips. One of the things that you did mention as well was the flexibility on being able to increase rents upon takeover as opposed to real estate multifamily where you're you might be stuck in a 12-month lease and then you have government agencies that might put moratoriums on your business as well did you i'm assuming you didn't have to deal with any of that during covid you know within the self-storage business did you everybody were like scared first month of when covid happened after that, and I don't want to say in any mean way, we all storage people at, like in a funny way, sitting and kind of laughing all other asset classes because we are completely, we were essential business. We were, first of all, open, fully open. Everybody could come in and we don't have no problems. We still do our, when people don't pay, they first month after five days, they get late fee. So boom, you get additional $15 that you're making. Then you're just going to, put overlock so there's overlock fee. So you start putting overlocking fee so they can get out of the unit. After overlocking fee, they may request to remove, so it's going to be cut locking fee. So after if they don't even do that, one month passed, and they're starting the lean process. So now they're going to get 
targeting letters. We have to go through some certain processes. I'm not going to get into detail right now. But then you're going through that lean process. And after 55 days, after 50 days, you can auction the unit. And also it's a little bit different, but typically that's what it is. Uh, after 50 days, you can auction. So you put that unit online. There's no like no storage wars thing happening, okay? We're not finding no antique Ferraris or anything like that. It's just so usually some trash that you really want to get someone actually come and pick up and get rid of it. We probably had the most expensive unit sold once, like $150. Sometimes it sells for nothing, sometimes for 10 bucks, 30 bucks, so depending. But really the great thing that after 50 days, we for five days advertise on that online platform. Some people are betting and they're coming in, take all that stuff, and we get a clean unit ready to rent for next tenant that's willing to pay. And that's it. So our uh, turnover cost, uh, there's no much turnover cost. You don't have to go lease that unit with a broker, right? Or, or a realtor for them to lease it out. And you don't have to go and fix like paint walls or fix holes or whatever. They're messed up. You just simply just sweep it. And that's it. It's ready back on market for new tenants who are willing to pay the rent. That is very, very interesting. So are most of the operational or let's say the turnover costs more associated to maybe junk removal in the storage business? Because I would imagine, you know, it's just maybe bringing someone to clean out the unit, sweeping it and kind of just putting it back on the market. Is that the case? We don't have property managers on site. We don't have, we don't like office. We actually have one office, but we don't even utilize it for that purpose. Because what they're going to be sitting there all day. Yes, we had previous, I mean, previous property manager on one of our properties come and actually the seller's property manager sitting in an office for them to people, they had to go come in and sign a lease in the office. Why? Obviously, we are right away put it electronically. Whenever they book a unit, they get right away an email, they're signing and it's super simple process. So our operation, we don't have property managers. So, but who would they have? We have facility caretaker who comes two, three times a week, checks on the property, gives uh, all the report to our virtual manager. I trained someone in Philippines who is a now our virtual manager. I used to self-manage it, so do a lot of things, but now I don't do that because I have virtual manager. And of course, we have call center. So all the calls takes the company that does all the storage for other storage owners. So they're professionals. They have long hours open. They know they have access to software. We have utilization of basically call center, facility caretaker, and a virtual manager uh, that's based in Philippines. All of that just, that's what does all the operations of the business. Sounds like a great way to run your business lean. I mean, what what are like the expense ratios typically on the, in the self-storage um, space? Is it like sub 30%? So yes, typically depending on how you run it, 25, 35, and up to I heard up to 40 typically. So my mentor, he runs them more already at 40% because he actually just so successful, he substantially increased his revenues and he's able to because he does everything just on another scale. So it's like top eight level scale type of properties. That's great. And another thing that I've heard within the self-storage space that is very, very attractive is that you may potentially be able to create maybe other ancillary businesses that are in line with some of the self-storage operations. So maybe, you know, a U-Haul operation or, um, you know, moving business. Are, are you implementing some of those strategies to, to create other businesses that would add value to your self-storage uh, business? 
Yes. So one thing, example, we're buying is having a billboard. So that's a true 100% passive income is having a billboard. You don't know anything about it, like literally nothing. So that's one way of great passive uh, ancillary income. We also, what we do in all the properties is uh, offer tenant protection. So it's like renter's insurance where we are uh, not only being able to protect the tenants, protect us, but we also make an income from that. Because typically you have a split between 30, 70, 40, 60, 50, 50, that actually typically goes more to the owner. So if you have insurance that you, let's say 10 bucks, so from each tenant, you can make $7 on top and you have uh, 200 units. I mean, you see how much additional income you can be making on just offering uh, the tenant protection. And uh, the other options, as you were saying, is offering some parking. So you can put just, uh, if you have some empty little space, you can just offer parking. You can put the uh, canopies or actually offer more covered parking. You can do U-Haul rentals if in your market after research, you can find out it's the U-Haul will bring you customers. And at the same time, you can make additional income with U-Haul. But for that, typically what we encounter that you have to have that more person that's on site. So we prefer not to pay anybody on site because we save costs there. But we then kind of it's more complicated to get you haul. So it's more typically for bigger properties where you have seen more somebody more consistently at the property. And uh, uh, you can always get super creative and see what can you add to that market. Maybe like an hour one of the property, we actually have barbershop there. We're buying it with already with barbershop. We're probably gonna just keep it there. Let it just be there. And some people do up notarius' offices can be FedEx drop-off space. There's so many much ways you can get creative and see what demands that market. That's great. I mean, the successful entrepreneurs know how to carve out and start um, digging into like different ancillary incomes and, and really finding a niche on specific assets, um, especially in the world of competitiveness and, and capital just that's being deployed in the market today. I feel like you really have to hunch down and figure out you know, how to find these different income sources to really set yourself apart as an operator today. Hey, listen up. If you're an employee, business owner, or professional athlete with money in the bank earning 0% return, and you're thinking about passively investing in real estate, well, you need to check out our ultimate syndication guide for passive investors. This free guide absolutely covers everything you need to know about passively investing in real estate syndication or just real estate in general. If you want access to this valuable resource, go to MerlinAcquisitions.com slash Passive Guide to download the free syndication guide for passive investors. That's M-E-R-L-Y-N-N Acquisitions.com slash Passive Guide or head over to the show notes and click the link to download. Now let's get back to the show. So I'm sold, right? I want to invest in self-storage. I want to get into this business. How are you finding deals today? I looked at some self-storage opportunities a couple of weeks ago and I was seeing like eight caps on LoopNet. Like, is that realistic today to, to find a property that's a eight cap? It's certainly unrealistic in the multifamily space. You know, talk about how are you finding deals today and maybe some strategies that you're using as well. So for me, it was always, I personally never found any property that um, was completely on market and that was bidding against other people. I wanted to find something that's more exclusive. 
So typically finding exclusive properties, it's meaning building relationships, right? So all my deals came through relationships and that was wholesalers. That was actually uh, somebody who dropped the contract. And because knowing and me being actually on social media too, I was in on mind of that person. So when they find out somebody dropped the contract, we were first person on his mind. So he contacted me, hey, I know someone who dropped the contract. You want to get on this deal? Boom. And that's why we got this portfolio under contract. So it's really going up, going and they're connecting with more people and talking. I used to show up on all the Zoom calls with a storage background. Is getting connected and keep following up and seeing who will have that you know, opportunity. Keep mentioning, keep uh, talking to everybody who you know that you're doing self-storage investing. And one way also for me was, is first time investing passively uh, into storage. And that way I asked the operator, I'd like to invest passively, but I also want to learn behind the scenes. And that way it gave me opportunity to really learn how they're doing it. What is there happening behind the scenes? And also having that officially call myself as passive, uh, as a self-storage investor. Even though I was passive, I'm already owning a piece of storage. On my personal financial statement, I had self-storage on my personal financial statement because I invested. So there's definitely, I can say the answer to pretty much all the questions will be who, not how. You probably heard about this book. I used to attend all the possible webinars. Now I go go to as many conferences as possible. Go connect online with people and just building relationships and speaking about it. That's the strategy that worked for me. That's amazing. And building relationships is a great way to get deal flow. We've certainly won deals in our career because we've been able to either close with the broker in the past or the broker knows that we have a property on the contract down the street and he shows us the property that's up on the same street. So building relationships is a great way to accelerate your business career, but then also be provided those opportunities that other people are likely not going to see. So moving on into maybe the feasibility stage, you know, if someone is trying to inspect a self-storage facility, what should they be looking at? Maybe what are the maybe two to three things that someone should be looking at when looking at a uh, self-storage uh, opportunity? So what we do when we already obviously get under contract and we don't go see a property before we get it under contract. And I think multifamily, you can you also do that. We don't go explore and waste time traveling. We, we do our best to see whatever is possible. And then we go there and we order inspection to get done. So inspection again will be so, and we're doing phase one, first of all, it's so important, environmental report and a PCA, property condition assessment. I know that they will do so much better. I'm not an inspector. So I'd rather give this job to someone who's an expert in it. The PCA, the property condition assessment is not going to be as expensive, I would say, as it would be, for example, again, for multifamily. You don't have to explore the plumbing system, electrical system. Usually it's much more simplified. So it's not uh, as costly as it is. But at the same time, it's obviously the due diligence is really so much verifying all the documents and all the financials, which again would be similar like taxes, what's their property insurance, what are they doing? I know all the properties where I bought, they don't do proper auctions 
They don't do proper uh, lean process. And that's um, a little bit different from multifamily. You don't focus so much on physical, but you do focus a lot, again, on uh, the business operations-wise and how they're running it. Yeah, I think the due diligence process as a whole within the space of commercial is kind of of the same structure. But I think within different asset classes, you certainly want to be more focused on different aspects of the business. Or like you mentioned, the financial aspect is really important when getting into the self-storage space. Due diligence is one of the most important aspects of commercial real estate. So if you really know how to perform due diligence, you will be successful in whatever that you do in real estate. So if someone wants to finance these opportunities, you know, what's the best way to finance these opportunities? SBA is a great option. The only thing is a little bit timely, but we are encountering same issue this time. We encountered the same issue that just regular banks don't want to finance because we don't live in that state. I thought after having already several storages under my belt, I'm going to get easily just a regular bank. And it's actually not. They're still doubting that you can manage it remotely, which is just complete nonsense. But also, I mean, the main issue would be that they cannot go outside of their, how you call that, footprint, right? So they just, you you either have to be there. And then let's say even I'm in Florida. Florida banks don't want to finance a property in South Carolina. And the South Carolina ones don't want to finance a Florida investor. So it becomes that, oh, what we can do there. So it's honestly, it's being able to prepare again. And this is again, the answer is your network, people. So we're actually bringing on right now on our team. And actually he's going to be my mentor who is going to be signing on along with us to give that signing power. So it's again, the who, not how is the solution. And SBA again, coming back, it's small business administration. It's what people get for business because storage is a business. So that we don't have Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, all those also, but we do have SBA. And the beautiful part about SBA is that you can finance 85 to 90% LTV. So you really can put down so much less money. If you buy a million dollar property, then you, you're probably going to be, you can't even put down like less than $200,000. So that's incredible. That is incredible. I mean, we're putting down 25 to 30%. And, you know, obviously as investors, we really don't want to put anything down, to be honest. But obviously there's additional risk that you're taking, especially when you're bringing investors' money into the the deal. But is the SBA financing kind of like a long process to actually close? Yes, it's a pretty annoying. There's so much, like there's millions of forms and you're like, why they're asking for my address like 25 times. So you have to fill out <laughs> so much. So it is uh, pretty annoying. I mean, this is what it's known for. But again, um, it's definitely easier in regards to, you can be less qualified for a loan than with regular banks. And also, but they are strict on some things like with some banks, something was wrong with your credit. You can explain that like, oh, you know, there's somebody got fraud or you don't think you can even get scan and explain to the bank that could be not their number one thing but with sba i think it's you have to have 650 and if you have 640 uh just because you got scammed and you have a proof of letter that you were scammed let's say it's just no they don't go around with that so so it's a lot of red tape is what you're saying with the sba financing um you know it's a great opportunity to finance those those projects, but there is a lot of red tape and it can add some length to the closing period. And also the bank side of things, 
if you're trying to get it financed in a different state that maybe you operate or maybe that you're currently living in, it's probably going to be a little bit more scrutiny in which you've been able to leverage your partnerships and other, um, you know, uh, as I mentioned, partnerships to get those deals done where those issues uh, may arise. Is that the case? Exactly. You have a lot of experience and knowledge in the self-storage space, and it's great that you've been able to accomplish where, you know, what you have accomplished today and, you know, the success that you've been able to achieve today. So what's the next step for your company moving forward? Are you continuing to find these off-market deals, you know, taking these mom and pop operations and bringing them to the future? Are you trying to scale up into larger and larger self-storage assets? Give us some little bit more context on your growth plans and and what you uh, hope to accomplish in the future. Great question. So obviously, like you say, it's so much about scalability. And uh, in my first partnerships, they were great, but I was the one that's the doer, making it happen. I brought somebody who was had capital. I brought someone who had experience, assigning power, but I was the one who was playing most of the roles and I can do as much. That's where I realized I'm creating virtual team. So I started creating virtual team and uh, my plan is to have an army of virtual teammates because they're amazing and they're I mean, they can be also affordable, but they're great workers. They are uh, no technology, they know English very well. And they're just so growing them and giving opportunity to third world. And then, of course, it's partnership. So right now I'm into moving forward to the new partnership where we both play roles, where my weaknesses such as I'm not that great, actually, person like uh, anything about maintenance, fixing. So he's going to be more taking over that, where I'm going to use my relationships, uh, my, uh, you know, underwriting skills, my systems that I love systems and all of that. So really utilizing partnership is actually growing teams. Again, the who not how, whether it's just hiring employees like workers or partnering with others. So that's the plan. And it's just like, I can just focus on certain area. My goal is to focus, we were doing right now capital raising. I want to focus more on capital raising. I am doing speaking on stages. I'm like impacting others, making that difference. And uh, when people come to me and say, oh, Masha, thank you so much for sharing that. I just know exactly what I'm going to go right now home and do. Or, oh, my God, you just shared, you inspired me so much. So that's just so moving right now. I'm just like, I guess just got excited even right now, just sharing that. So it's really started focusing more on capital raising, giving opportunities to passive investing. Because why are we all in this, Yannick? Why are we all in this? Is it because of just real estate? No, it's so much more. It's freedom. It's financial freedom. It's time freedom. It's you know location freedom. And all of this through passive and active investing, we can get to that freedom. So I want to obviously make it for myself, to my family, my close ones, but also for the world to show that through creating of different systems, through investing passively, through like creating teams, we can get to that freedom. We can be so much free and just focus on working on what's where the best, what our strength is. So I love definitely keep doing more creating fundraising events. This is why also my big why is great fundraising events. So there's so much opportunities through this, through this, uh, it doesn't have to be exactly self-storage, but I just find it self-storage. I feel like I can get there quicker and I can help others to get there as well. That's amazing. I, I love it. I really, really love that um, you've been able to get passion in what you're doing and you've been able to help investors achieve the financial freedom and 
tax benefits and all the things that, you know, real estate has to offer. So that's really, exactly. really cool. Isn't it? I mean, it feels so amazing. Someone that like I invested passively myself also. And when you get the check without like doing anything and you know, you invested also not in some, nothing against crypto stocks that one day from one day to another, you can just lose it. And just without like zero, I see it as a, a lot as a gambling in a way. And I'm not saying it's gambling. It's not at all. There's so much amazing things about it, <laughs> but I just don't have control over it. And I know all these people, they don't have control. We have control of a self-storage facility and how it runs. So it's a hard asset that's been proven as recession resilient. They call it cash cow. And uh, it's amazing to be pretty confident that we all can make money. And we can all, with that money, we can create a freedom for ourselves and our families and friends. Yeah, yeah. That's why I love real estate. And, you know, the stock market to me is kind of like a casino. I like to say it's sophisticated gambling. <laughs> no, exactly. I love that sophisticated gambling. That's really cool how you were you are able to um, be successful in the self-storage space today. So let me ask you a question. If you were to start this journey all over again, if you were to start this marathon all over again, what do you think you would do differently that would contribute to your success? I would definitely, what I was doing, but much deeper on a deeper level is making even deeper relationships uh, with people, looking really into partnership and really understanding you want to partner with somebody who also wants what you want, right? Having similar, not exactly similar, but having the same uh, toward that you want to scale, that you you are, you are want, you don't want to just stop on one property. You want to be able, let's invest, let's keep investing into the investment, investing business, right? Not only thinking as uh, just this one property, let's save cost now, but then we're like just focused on that one asset instead of focusing on keep growing, keep growing together as a team. So that's definitely one aspect. And I would say it took me one year, one year? Uh, over one year, almost and a half since I hired my first virtual teammate. I could have hired much earlier. I started with just five hours a week, which was costing me like less than $200 a month to have a virtual assistant. Why not? Like you can have a full-time job. I'm sure you have $200 per that you can just having someone helping you with some monotonous tasks. So I honestly, again, hiring, I would have hired my virtual teammate one year, like right pretty much like let's say two months after I started out, I could have done that. So those are probably two things. Again, is about people. Together with other people, we can achieve so much more than we're trying to get it done ourselves. Yeah, I completely agree. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, hiring a virtual assistant today is very, very affordable. And when you compare that to going out and, and eating lunch somewhere over the past you know, few weeks and, and months, you add that up. I mean, you could probably sacrifice and you know hire a virtual assistant and that's going to free your time up to expand your business and expand your operations and do all the things that you want to do. And then end up having the time freedom that we all wanted to get in, into this business for because it's easy as a real estate entrepreneur to get lost in the sauce or lost in the business and you get focused on mundane tasks that really don't add value to your business. So I think that is where virtual assistants come in to fit is that they bridge the gap between you being able to step out of the business and actually grow it yep. and being stuck in those small tasks that really don't make make you money. 
Oh yes, believe me, me calling uh, some late tenant and saying why they haven't paid their rent was not the most efficient time spent on growing business. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah, totally agree. So give us a little bit more context on the investments that you have on the contract. And also if our listeners are interested in following you, following what you're doing in the real estate space, you know, the best way for our listeners to get in contact with you and your company. Of course. Thank you. So you can find me on any of the social media platform, mainly LinkedIn, Instagram, and some Facebook is just Marsha Klapanova. And you can find me over there on Instagram. It's Marsha in, at Marsha Investor. And uh, my website is, uh, guess what? It's your freedom investments because I'm all about freedom. And uh, we are right now having two portfolios on the contract. Right now we're about finishing to raise capital for our uh, first portfolio. If anybody interested in passive investing, we have some great opportunity there where we also not only my partner and I are working on, but we actually just have my mentor who joined our team as well, who sold last year $100 million worth of storage. So we got some definitely great partnership going on. So I'd be more than happy to offer somebody who wants to maybe learn even behind the scenes, like even if you just you've never invested in storage and you're curious, I'd be more than happy. I'm always super passionate. I can talk for hours about self-storage and it just never gets boring because that's again what gives to me and gives to many others that freedom. So you can go to uh, www.yourfreedominvestment.com or just find me on any platform and just send me a DM and I'd be happy to chat and we can schedule a call. That's perfect. Um, you can hear the passion in your voice. You're excited about what you do. And for our listeners today, you know, Masha is a breath of knowledge in the self-storage space. And I'm sure that you are not going to be disappointed with following, you know, what she's doing in the space. So thank you, Masha, for being on our show today. I mean, we talked a lot about self-storage, talked about the operations, the marketing, how do you find the deals, best ways to analyze them funding the deals as well. Just a lot of digestible information today. So thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Thank you to our listeners again for tuning in to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. Let's take action. Be great today. And remember that real estate is a marathon, not a sprint. Run your own race. Thanks again, Masha. Thank you. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.